what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. This podcast is sponsored by the 2019 Foot Candle Film Festival. This year's film festival will be held September 27th through 29th in Hickory, North Carolina. Learn more by visiting footcandlefilmfestival.com. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. My name is Alan Jackson. I am co-director and co-founder of the Foot Candle Film Society and the Foot Candle Film Festival. With me, Chris Fry. Ditto on all those same titles. Yes, that is true. Co-director, co-founder, Foot Candle Film Society, Foot Candle Film Festival. Yes. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing good. Uh, looking forward to hearing your opinions on these two movies, uh, both of which I think we've maybe mentioned in news segments, maybe in passing, the ones we're going to review on the show today. I think so. I think these have been some films that we have talked about in the past, maybe while they're in the production, and now we have a chance to actually have seen the final films, and now we're going to review them. That is going to be the first part of our show. This is here on the Foot Candle Films. What we do is we review a couple of films, ones that are normally in the theaters or maybe just gone to uh, video on demand, but uh, fairly new films to see. We're going to review two films today, followed by our news items, uh, where we talk about some other upcoming movies, maybe ones we'll be reviewing in the much distant future. And then also we'll end up our show with our recommendation where Chris and I both pick a film or each pick a film that we think is worth your time, maybe revisiting or something you might have missed that we think uh, might make for a good weekend viewing if you're looking for something to do in the coming days. Uh, Chris, we have two films to review, both of them still playing in theaters, one uh, making quite a bit of money, the other one, eh, maybe not so much. Uh, I'll let you pick and see which one you think is which. Uh, first off, we'll be discussing the latest Pixar slash Disney uh, computer animated film in the Toy Story series. It is Toy Story 4, followed by a review of the latest film by director Jim Jarmusch, starring Bill Murray and Adam Driver, called The Dead Don't Die. So with that, why don't we go ahead and get started into our first review, which is Toy Story 4. Everyone, Bonnie made a friend in class. Oh, she's already making friends. No, no, she literally made a new friend. I want you to meet Forky. Uh, Hi. Hello. Hi. Ah. (gasps) He's a spook. Yes, yeah, I know. Forky is the most important toy to Bonnie right now. We all have to make sure nothing happens to him. Woody, we have a situation. Not a toy. I was made for soup, salad, maybe chili, and then the trash. When it was announced that there was to be a Toy Story 4, many people, even the most avid Pixar fans, asked themselves, why? Toy Story 3 had put a bow on the series box set. Why make another movie? Was it just so Disney would be able to release a new special edition, edition box set? Now that we've seen Toy Story 4, Alan, do you think this film is a worthy addition to the franchise? Or in the words of Forky, is it trash? <laughs> um, okay, I'm, uh, it, it's, it's not trash. Okay. But I do question why this film was necessary. Because um, I do think Toy Story Are, 3 ended already? up... Already? 
this is going to be an awesome review. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I'm excited I, I, when Alan and I disagree. <laughs> all right. I, I felt like I, I have a perfect re- rationale of what they should have done with this film. I liked it. I thought it was good. It's a, it's a well, it's a Toy Story movie. It's a well-made movie. And if you had never seen any of the other Toy Story films and you saw this and you had some semblance of the background, I mean, it's an amazing film. Both humor, characters, the animation's gorgeous. We'll mm-hmm. talk about that in a little bit. Okay. But in the grand scheme of things, I could not help that I was watching maybe what would have been if Toy Story had been a TV show and this was going to be an episode of the Toy Story TV show. Good story, had some fun moments to it, fine. But it didn't have this sense of being essential that I felt like maybe the pre three previous chapters did. And I think hurts it because I do feel like Toy Story 3 was such a great closing chapter, the way it ended the film and kind of moving on to this next phase in these toys' lives. Here, we're brought into a myriad of different stories. It was kind of interesting that they really had a lot of different little storylines going on. Starts with the Forky thing, which I think we got to at least preface. And you have to acknowledge we gotta Forky. Set up Forky. Yeah, you have to. Forky is the new toy joining Woody and the gang, who was created by Bonnie, who is the now godlike child <laughs> that the toys all work work for. And <laughs> I like how it's set up like that. Like she's the boss, and like these toys all just kind of do her bidding. It's well, kind of it that was, way. It was Andy in the first. It was Andy movies. in the first two to three movies, and then now the torch Bonnie. got passed on to Bonnie. Right. And she creates Forky out of a plastic spork and some pipe cleaner and some googly eyes, and he becomes a toy. And by becoming a toy, I guess the magic is that he now becomes sentient and has. A personality and has everything else associated with that. Mm-hmm. I like the whole Forky thing. I think it added some really interesting um, philosophical questions to the whole mix, which sure. is good. But the Forky thing kind of lost steam about halfway through the film, and it became the Woody story, which I'm also I like the Woody story too. But it was a myriad of different things going on in the film that did for me make this film less impactful than the other ones had been. And it felt more like a holiday special or a TV episode or something of a lesser version of the film Toy Story films. Uh, honestly, what they should have done in my mind is this: this should have been Woody's Woody's Last Ride, Woody's something. It should have been a Woody movie because it really was a Woody movie. It was all about Woody in the last two thirds of the film, and the other characters I felt like got some really short short change use uh, compared to the previous three films. So. Mine is a mixed review. I thought the film on its own was really good and entertaining and fun. I have some really great call-out positive moments of the film. But I I feel like the essentialness of it was lacking. And I felt like the mixed match of storylines that they were trying to carry through and and messages they're trying to share uh, didn't make for a great cohesive film that that I felt like the other three had. So, Hmm. Chris, toss it over. Tell me me how you feel like I am wrong. Well, um, I... I think this is the way it should hopefully, you know, who knows when I, I was one of the people when it was announced they were doing a Tory story Four, you know, hence my intro. I was kind of like, you know, why I don't, I don't really see it. Um, now after having seen this and I'm going to dance around spoilers, the way this film ends and where a certain character, where Woody ends up mm-hmm. um, to me seems like, okay, now this is, 
now this is closing. Because in Toy Story 3, and I can spoil that, if you haven't watched Toy Story 3, you're probably not listening we're to this review. The, <laughs> we're past the period of time where you right. have to worry about spoiling it. Now. Right. Yeah. Uh, for Toy Story 3, short of them actually going into the incinerator, that would not have been a surprise. And I, we all, I thought, most people sitting in the theater with me, I think, thought that that was actually going to happen. Mm-hmm. When that didn't happen, and all he does is go off with a new kid, I'm like, oh, okay. So... Yeah, I'm glad they didn't die because I cared for the characters just like a lot of other people did. Mm -hmm. But as far as becoming truly original or truly different, just going on to another kid, I was like, okay, yep. And now they can make a million other Toy Story Mm -hmm. movies. And then when they did make Toy Story 4, I was like, oh, yeah. So they're just going to continue on with Bonnie's three movies. And it's like, you know, that's Mm -hmm. your way of generating new franchises just by hopping to different kids. Um, A, I hope this really is the last one. And B... Mm -hmm. Woody's character arc from the very first Toy Story to this one. Um, this one focuses more on if uh, like letting go mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and realizing that um, you have to center your own happiness around yourself first and not always depend on others um, and kind of being able to let go. In a lot of ways, this movie felt like to me uh, empty nest movie when parents watch their kids go off to college mm-hmm. and then you have to learn how to then do stuff on your own and make your own, you know, you've kind of forgotten because you've been so invested in raising children. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what happens when you're no longer doing that? Um, so kind of like a movie about retirement or something. Um, yeah. that being said, that I, was, I, I agree. One of the messages in the film at a certain part of the film that was being conveyed. And I agree. I I really liked the Forky character. Um, (laughs) But yeah, his unique or his story is kind of dropping. It does become Woody's. Well, Um, and and again, I I felt like the film was trying to do too much by almost having, well, two, maybe three through lines that were supposed to follow. And the Forky one was interesting, but I do feel like they kind of hit a wall where like, well, we don't really know what else to do with this now. But we want to concentrate on Woody because Woody, we want to give some. Well, his his story though to. does dovetail with it Woody's dovetails. in that Woody is responsible for or feels responsible, takes on the responsibility of yeah. being the shepherd for Forky, right? Kind of like so. But then there again, not doing spoilers. Yeah. Kind of like you know Woody's role in his character arc. I think yeah, I, mean, I thought it was interesting. Um, I mean, I, there are definitely things about the film that are that are really positive. I don't, I don't want to give this off like a, a negative. Comparing it to the previous three Toy Story films, which are all very strong cinematic achievements, and for me to say it's probably my least favorite of the four is not a slight against the film. It's just in the how, grand scheme. How of high things. you hold the right. ones in esteem? Sure, um, I get that. I mean, I still love Tom Hanks as Woody. I think it's was one of the greatest animated characters. Um, I thought the animation in this film was absolutely stunning. Um, there are some moments, one moment in particular, uh, inside the antique store, which mm-hmm. everything inside the antique store is was just really cool. Gorgeously rendered. Yeah. But there is a scene where they're on top of some bookshelves looking out at a moment when all the lights and lamps in this antique store come on and mm-hmm. it's pretty breathtaking. And there's a couple times I had to remind myself that, you know, and we're seeing, uh, trees and, and everything outside, landscapes. That This is an animated film. These are not real things I'm watching. It's sure. pretty crazy that they got to that point. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll add, I agree with that shot. Another one that I'd actually jotted down in my notes was 
there's a shot that comes at one point when characters are again up high mm-hmm. and it's uh Woody is one of the characters and they're looking out and having this big, you know, conversation. But in the background, you see the fair, they're at like kind of like an amusement park fairground type place. And you see the lights of like the Ferris wheel going around and have that as a backdrop. And of course it's constantly moving because Ferris wheels hopefully continue to move so Mm -hmm. people can get off the ride. Um, But having all that going on in the background felt like watching like an Alfred Hitchcock movie or something. Of course, a lot of those are in black and white, but some type of like thriller movie or something, mm-hmm. or like the Lost Boys, that movie where they had the theme park in the <laughs> background. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's jumping around Alfred Hitchcock to Lost Boys, but, you know, where they had some parts of their film took place at like an amusement park place with rides or something as similar to like Us recently, mm-hmm. that film, totally different oh, yeah, type true. of film, but yeah. you got to see all the garish lights and it adds a lot to kind of the background. Well, that was going on in a toy story movie. And I was like, mm-hmm. wow, that's really impressive how they got that. But you know, it's slightly out of focus, but yet the, I don't know. It was just really, impressive no, it, to it, me. everything animation wise is gorgeous on this film. Absolutely gorgeous. Um, and the voice acting is always strong. It always sure. is in the toy story movies It's very good here. I, I do want to call out uh, Tony Hale as Forky. I thought, you know, such an odd character to be adding into this mix. It is. It, works in the first half i think there is a sequence of what i can only describe as forky trying to get rid of himself for like a good several minutes that i thought was hilarious (laughs) and it has the randy newman song i can't let you throw yourself away so So, just some great moments there good stuff i liked uh you know we we did have also uh key and peel uh doing a part did you have some issues with that okay because I thought they were funny. I didn't. Okay. And I think I suffer. I think I'm one of the few people in this world who didn't. I have still, to this day, have never seen a Key and Peele episode. Hmm. Um, I, I, know, I have not. It's not that I've watched a bunch of them, but I thought I thought they were. I've, I've I never watched. Were, I've never seen skits. I know who they are as individuals. I think it was a nice style of humor to bring into the film that we don't normally see. So. Yeah, and it just didn't work for me. And I don't know if you're saying you don't have background with them. So I thought that Not was really. the problem. I was like, oh, well, I don't get it because I haven't seen like their background. Well, and maybe if I saw their background, I don't know. I, I don't think, think that really helps. It just worked funnier. for me. I mean, my boys and I, we chuckled the most at those parts. Really? Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. Wow. There's a, there's a sequence. <laughs> Yeah, I got, Not more, disp- I got more irritated. And I was like, no, okay, I, okay. I, the sequence where they're talking through their plan of what to do the first with, time or the second time. Well, I mean the first time main, the main time in the film, you know, the second time later in the film was a little, a little repetitive, but a little. the first time in the film when it goes on for a good long extended sequence and it's actually, I thought pretty clever and funny. So and maybe there again. Yeah. Maybe if I felt more kindred with their, the actual yeah. people doing the voice work or unfortunately, at least in the preview that I had seen, a million times in the theater before seeing this movie, that moment was spoiled. Oh, see, it wasn't for me. I never oh. saw them in trailers. Okay, so if I, I don't think not... I even saw ever saw a trailer for this film. Oh, well, I don't think I did. Good yeah. on, good yeah, on yeah. you. Unfortunately, I, unfortunately, I did. So maybe it got a little overplayed for you. Yeah, I, but, um, I'd, I'd seen. It, I thought it was good. I'd seen it at least twice in the theater. So the yeah. fact that the joke was already spoiled, a, and then b, like I, I don't know, it just well, didn't really. I thought their parts worked. I, I I could see it's it's a, it's a different type of humor than you normally have in the Toy Story movies with characters. So maybe it worked for some, worked and didn't work for others. I don't know. It, it was definitely more of a coarser humor, more what you might get from a lot of other animated movies. And uh, but 
it worked for me. I thought it was fun. I thought it added a kind of an interesting little uh, humorous take on some of the the parts of the film. Uh, so, you know, those are kind of the newer faces, I guess. Everybody else, oh, for the most well, part. And let's, <laughs> there is another new face. Oh, Keanu Reeves? And unlike Jordan, Jordan Peele and Keegan-Michael Key, their characters, um, Ducky and Bunny, yeah, they didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, however, Duke Kaboom, voiced by Keanu Reeves, totally worked. <laughs> um, and there again, maybe it's just a humor type thing. But that's it. And just, you know, maybe if I were to go back and watch it again, maybe it was the mood I was in. Maybe I'd get yeah. the Ducky and Bunny better. But yeah, Duke Kaboom, I, I felt like basically the key and peel things, I felt like they were kind of shoehorned in a little bit. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, these guys are these guys are a hot item. And well, they've been a hot item. They're a comedy team. Maybe we are trying to appeal a little bit to the adult crowd who knows who these guys are. Mm-hmm. And they put in there. And it was I'm not saying it totally ruined the movie. I just thought it was okay, but I kinda I was expecting more, especially from those two gentlemen who yeah. I've heard so much about. Whereas Keanu Reeves, like when they were planning this, you know, he's been around forever. He is kind of having a renaissance this year with, mm-hmm. you know, John Wick. And he was in a Netflix movie, which apparently was the only thing good about the Netflix movie he was in. Mm-hmm. Um, Always be my maybe. I currently yes. have not seen it. I have but, seen um, most of it. Yes. Okay. So have okay. you seen his cameo? I have. Yes. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the reason you watch it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he, I thought he was really good in Duke Kaboom and, and I guess it's because they give his character an actual arc. So it may just come down to the writing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, his, his final moment or whatever, where he's given, given kind of center stage really, really worked for me. And I, I liked it. Right. Right. And well, some of his funny antics mm-hmm. had also been spoiled by said trailer, Yeah, but it was okay. Cause I still felt well, like you he was mentioned, you know, do. how the, the key and peel, uh, their characters, you felt kind of shoehorn in. It's kind of how I felt about a lot of parts of the film. I, I, I mean, or if, take for example, you know, all the other Toy Story characters outside of Woody mm-hmm. and the new ones that were brought in really had nothing to do here. And even Buzz Lightyear kind of hang out in an RV. Buzz Lightyear was given kind of a, I mean, you could call it, call it kind of a side quest, like a, a video game that really didn't do anything. And right. he was with the two characters that Key and Peele were playing right. for part of that side quest. Very extraneous, not really essential to the plot, didn't have to be there. That was a little part of the film that did frustrate me to some degree because I feel like the formula gets very similar with all these films. I love the emotional moments. I love the character development moments. I love the quieter moments. But when you everything turns into a chase or we have to go do A so that B can happen and we got to do it in time for C to happen, it becomes very routine. And there was a part of this film where I just felt like, okay, everybody's just running around trying to do something. And it's, I'm just going to turn off the brain trying to remember why they're doing what they're doing. <laughs> Let's just, they just have to get to the end result. Sure. And it happens in every one of these Toy Story movies. There is a chase, there is a rescue, there is a. Yeah, I mean, there's a rescue at the end it's of Toy very, Story 3. Very similar. Yeah, absolutely. I could not tell you what they were trying to accomplish in the latter half of the film other than they had to get to this point (laughs) how to get there. I don't understand or why they needed these people to do these things. Don't understand. Don't really follow. And I feel like that was their way of saying, well, we've been spending so much time with Woody and Forky and these new characters in the antique shop, but we got to have something for the other characters to do because it's a toy story movie. So let's just build this little chase sequence or thing to give them something to do. So that's, that's why I kind of wish, I kind of wish this had been a Woody spinoff movie. 
Hmm. Okay. Imagine Toy Story 3 ended. Sure. And that was the Toy Story saga. <laughs> but okay. now, Woody. Let's have a Woody standalone movie. And it would have been perfect because it really was all about Woody in the end. And I'm fine with that. I liked right. it. But it was just disappointing that, you know, you have such a great ensemble of so many other characters. And I found I, I just felt like the film was really struggling to figure out what to do with everybody. Hmm. And uh, I liked the new characters that were introduced. I, and we haven't even talked about, you know, kind of the, quote, villain, Gabby Gabby, you yeah. know, played by Christina Hedricks, which I thought was really good. Right. Also, very well rendered as an animation. Yeah. <laughs> like, both creepy and enduring all at the same oh, time. Her um, creepy. How about the ventriloquist? Dolls? Oh, the vin- that were the- you mean the Morrissey <laughs> ventriloquist? <laughs> those were awesome. Um, no, that was my favorite moments of the film, That those, those characters. And the fact that they never really talked. Nope. And it was just so good. Um, and I like, without spoiling, I like the interesting story arc they took with Gabby Gabby mm-hmm. by the end of the film. Yeah, uh, because we had been used to a certain type of villain in Toy Story for the last couple of films. Definitely for two and three. Two and three were very similar. Right. And I think they took a little different angle with this one. And I liked where it ended. Agreed. I That's think Gabby Gabby's last scene in the film was really good. It was mm-hmm. a little nice emotional scene. And it worked on a different level than we're used to seeing for the villains. So there was a lot to like with the film. I wish I didn't feel like it was just uh, treading water in a lot of places just to get to this final character development with Woody, which is what the film, I think, ultimately just wanted to achieve. I wish the the Forky thing had become more of an impactful thing in the story later in the film. But uh, again, you know, I'm comparing a really, really good animated film against other really, really good animated films. And sure. I just have to say this is my least favorite of the four, but it's still a good film. Okay. And something I would That's recommend. My thing is, I, I still think Toy Story 2 is my favorite. It just has enough going on with it and enough interesting characters and. Uh, the bit with Jesse and the Sarah McLaughlin song. I mean, sure. I'm sorry. That's still one of the best animated film sequences ever. Um, probably two, one, three, four. It's kind of where I am with it. Okay. So, yeah. Anyway, any closing I, thoughts, likes, I, dislikes? things? Yeah, I, I, we've hit on all of them. I would have to watch them again to really fairly rank them. But I guess just because this is the most recent one I've seen, I hold it pretty high. Hmm. Um, but I think if memory serves and correct, like, you know, I like the first one. Okay. I really do remember responding strongly to the second one because I felt like they really did a lot of really interesting things. And the third one, I just thought was okay. The third one. The only thing I remember about the third one is the ending scene, like the ending climactic scene, which was so well done. Sure. So good. But I really couldn't tell you much about the rest of the film. And I, I think that's the thing with me too, is that it was enjoyable. And like we say, these are a pretty high watermark, all of them together. Mm-hmm. So two would definitely be at the top. I think four may be right below it. I think one and two would, or one and three would fall like lower. What, and one so. has, I mean, one is a classic and it's got the, the right, there's core. Nothing, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just, it's just, yeah. you know, it's story-wise, it's a little on the slider side. And, of course, the animation. Sure, you know, it's, not, yeah. it's, it's it's tough. Unfortunately, when the first Toy Story came out, I mean, you watch it and you're like, "Wow, this is amazing!" And they're making, you know, they look so realistic, right? And then you see, like, by now, number four, you go back and actually see clips from one. You're like, Ugh. "Yeah, it just doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't hold up." But again, that's not the fault of anybody making the film. It was just the technology available at the time. Sure. Um, my, I guess the hole in the back of my mind too, Chris, with this is. 
if they come out with a Toy Story 5 and a certain character shows back up, it's going to make me kind of angry now. It's uh, like I'm right. to a point where, you know, if you give some closure and do closure and that's fine. But there's a little bit of my, that nagging in the back of my head as I'm watching even the end of Toy Story 4 thinking there's no way they're going to be able to let this go. They're going to yeah. make a fifth one and it's going to irritate me because yes. I know certain people will probably be together and that'll irritate. That, I think that's valid. Um, but there again, I, you know, for me we don't personally, know. I was not against, but kind of like, you know, why for yeah. Toy Story 4? I feel like I understand you why. You felt like there was enough of a and justification I'm happy with the for why. why. Right off the bat, like you're saying, Toy Story 5, my immediate question would be, you know, why? But maybe they could prove me wrong. Well, and I'm, they fine, did with four, and I'm not so. saying that they shouldn't make a Toy Story 5. I actually think where 3 would have been the nice closure to it, they sure. didn't close it with 3. Right. They have 4. Sure. 4 still keeps everything else open. Mm-hmm. With the exception of a couple few key characters. Sure. So I'm fine if I heard that Toy Story 5 now featured those other characters that I felt like got short shift in this movie. <laughs> right. I'm okay with that because that's actually a way to keep it going. But just don't ruin another ending of one of these Toy Story films sure. going forward. So I guess that maybe is impacting me a little bit in the back of my head saying, ah, you've done this to me once. <laughs> You gave me a nice closure, and then you kind of went backwards on it. So, see, and I think in a weird way, you know, at the time, two is my favorite. Is my favorite, at least I think it is. Three, I liked, but I thought it was just okay. And in a way, I was a little dissatisfied with the ending of three because I felt like it was too yeah. easy. Yeah, and it was, I yeah. feel like four's ending is a little harder. But you're right. If they make a five and they do a certain cop out, then I'll be I'll be a little cranky. We'll be back on the show talking about <laughs> oh, it. Oh, absolutely! So I will remind you of that before <laughs> sure. you say, "Oh, I love it." <laughs> fair, fair enough. Okay. Fair enough. All right. Well, that is Toy Story Four. Please don't take my. Uh, it is a good film. It is an enjoyable film. Absolutely. If you like any of the Toy Story movies at all, you will like parts or elements at the minimum of this film. Sure. Um, just my only concern is I just felt like maybe we. It could have been a better special TV episode, could have been something, or just make it a standalone Woody movie. And I felt like it would have fit better, but I was a little disappointed. I don't feel like it was a singular, cohesive story that incorporated all the great characters we've known for so long. I'll say, you know, final closing thought for me. I overall did enjoy the film, thought it was a, you know, good installment. I love Forky, but I will say, Kind of what you are hinting at. If I was to say a negative, other than I felt like the Key and Peele characters are maybe a little shoehorned. Mm-hmm. Um, I did kind of get a sense, and it started out as Buzz Lightyear, but then I can see what you're saying about some of the other supporting characters. They were maybe sidelined a little too much, whereas the other movies kind of have a team aspect to it. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. still a lot focused on Woody, but um, it started off being like, man, Buzz Lightyear is really non-existent in this film. But then I, I have realized that, yeah, a lot of the other smaller characters are also really sidelined. So, I mean, they're pretty much in an RV most of the Yeah, movie. so it would have, I would have appreciated maybe a little yeah. bit more. Including. Buzz Lightyear, I will say, I'll call out just to kind of follow up on that. Yeah, that was one I, I can specifically call out. Sure. He's non-existent most of the film. When he is there, he is given a very, I thought, kind of a kind of a dumb subplot <laughs> that really didn't make any difference in anything. In all honesty, as I'm sitting here, I cannot remember the 
quote unquote mission that he and Key and Peel were trying to. I don't know what they were trying money. to do. I, don't I, remember. I can't remember right. But now also either. remember, Buzz kind of had this whole thing about the voice in his head, which right. got to be kind of dumb after a while, and just again made no impact on the rest of the film. Gotcha. So it was just I felt like it's like well we've got Tim Allen and we've got a character that everybody loves, but we didn't really write him in the script. So let's figure out how to just cram them in there for a few scenes, you know. And that's disappointing because I always thought the Toy Story was very much the Buzz Woody dynamic, dynamic sure. and we really didn't get that in this film. Sure. So we're, it was pretty present in all three of the other films. So, okay, I think we've talked enough about Toy Story four. Toy okay. Story four in theaters, still making money, <laughs> worth seeing. So, let's move on to a film that may not be in your theater by the time you hear this. Uh, may not be making tons of money, but we're still going to talk about it anyway. It is the latest zombie film, strangely enough, from writer-director Jim Jarmusch. The Dead Don't Die. In this peaceful town, on these quiet streets, something terrifying, something horrifying is coming this is really awful maybe the worst thing i've ever seen what was it wild animals so what are you thinking i'm thinking zombies what you know the undead ghouls chris with the dead don't die we take some elements that I think many of us in society are very used to seeing when it comes to the zombie movie, the type of genre that really over the last 10 years, I think thanks to the walking dead TV show and resurgence in some zombie related movies, uh, 127 hours, I believe. Uh, no, no, not 128 days later. 28 days later. Unless you're calling James Franco no, no. a zombie. Which I was still in would. Danny Boyle talking Danny Boyle <laughs> okay, films. Okay. I was, it was sure. 28. Yeah, you're right. Not 128 days later. It's a uh, 28 days later. Right. Um, yeah, that was actually funny. Um, so you have some of these films in the last 10 to 15 years have kind of given us a resurgence of the zombie genre pick. Sure. Then I tell you, okay, we're going to do a zombie film. We're going to put Bill Murray in the lead role. Okay. Now not, you his kinda, fir- not his first zombie film. He did zombie. No, Lane. he did zombie lane as a supporting character. This right. one, he's credited as kind of a lead. Oh, sure. You throw in Adam driver. You've got also um, Chloe Sevigny. You've got Danny Glover. You've got a really great, interesting cast. Huge cast. And you're pitching the film as kind of a comedy. Okay, at this point, I think you have kind of gotten people excited. All right? The Dead Don't Die, zombie film with some great cast, and it's going to be kind of a funnier movie type of thing. But what I don't think a lot of people that maybe bought a ticket for The Dead Don't Die are realizing that they're going into a film written and directed by... Jim Jarmusch, <laughs> who you may or may not be familiar with his work because, I mean, he's not the most, A, prolific filmmaker, but also he's, you know, not one that's known for a lot of box office success with him either. Right. Uh, you do have recently Only Lovers Left Alive, uh, which did explore uh, vampires. So right. he is kind of dipping into the genre picks a little bit. Yeah. Broken Flowers is probably one I think maybe a lot of people might be a little familiar with. Because of Bill, Bill Murray. Murray. Mm-hmm. Patterson starred Adam Driver just uh, maybe three or four years ago. Now, going all the way back, Stranger Than Paradise, Gimme Danger. Uh, you know, a lot of great, great films, but very much art house independent films with mm-hmm. all those. So, Chris, take the role of somebody walking in to buy a ticket 
They see on the movie poster, oh, hey, look, Bill Murray's in a funny zombie movie. I'm going to buy a ticket for this and my date, and we're going to go and watch this. Um, talk me through what their reaction is going to be, and did it differ from the reaction you had in watching this film? I can't imagine anyone walking into this movie and coming out satisfied. <laughs> and the, here's why I say that. If you don't know anything about Jim Jarmusch, I think you're going to be actively pissed off. Yeah. Um, but I would hate to be a theater employee <laughs> and people just like, I imagine people just being irate. Like what the heck did I just, you're want? talking I feel about like, the, the non-cinephiles, correct. General population, correct. Going to see a zombie movie with Bill Murray. Okay. Correct. Yeah. However, I'm some, I don't know if I would consider myself a fan of Jim Jarmusch, but I've definitely seen a lot of his films. I like him. Okay. Um, but because of that, I also walked out of the theater disappointed. Okay. Um, because you mentioned another one of his genre films that he's kind of done, Only Lovers Left Alive, that was had vampires, had Tilda Swinton in it, had uh, Tom Hiddleston. Yeah. Uh, both really strong actors and cameos by other people. So well done. So well written. Uh, cinematography was great. Just, you know, just lots of things I could go on and on about that film. I don't know if we reviewed it on the show, but we may have, I, I can't, no, we did not. Cause I, I have not seen it. Oh, you have. Oh, then no. we didn't. Mm-mm. Um, so, but I really like that movie. Um, for this, I knew what the, here again, I'm going to, you know, we, we throw them under the bus all the time. I'm going to throw the trailer under the bus again for this. Um, but you talk about the evil trailers can be, you know, at least I knew I was going to a Jim Jarmusch film. So even though the trailer made it look really funny, you saw this cast and everything, at least I was like, yeah, but it's still going to be a Jim Jarmusch film. Mm-hmm. Whereas other poor people probably went in there thinking, and I, I just, I can't imagine anyone coming out not disappointed. Here's the thing that disappointed me. He had that great cast. He had the idea of doing a zombie film with people who are, not thinking for themselves. And basically it also has a really heavy handed political mm-hmm. opinion to it, which mm-hmm. I think could also turn off a lot of people because that's mm-hmm. not hinted anywhere. Yeah. Um, but I feel like he had a really good idea, but instead of he, he Jim Jarmusch took the easy way out. I okay. feel like he took the easy way out with this film. Mm. He didn't really try to make it clever. He didn't really try to make it funny, which <laughs> I think he's capable. Yeah, there were some funny things in there, but it was just kind of like, it felt like he came up with an idea, wrote a first draft of a script and shot this thing in maybe, I don't know, a week, which, you know, I don't know if any of that's true. But and that's maybe what, didn't even give all the actors the script. But that, <laughs> right, maybe not. But that's what it felt like to me. And it was such a good idea and such, you know, he's capable of so much. And I just felt like it, a lot of it, I thought it was over long. It was an hour and 44 minutes. I felt like it could have been actually (laughs) uh, in some instances, I felt like I was watching a Saturday night live skit that went on. It was like, you know, the ones that happen after the musical guest has already been on twice. It's kind of, you know, dancing towards one o'clock until one o'clock. It's a funny idea, but it just keeps going on and on and on. And that's what this film was for me. And I was wow. so disappointed because it had so much potential and it just fell short. Yes, there were some jokes in it and they were kind of funny, but it was like he kept relying on those and it just got boring and irritating to me. Now, 
giving Mr. Jarmusch, Jarmusch the benefit of the doubt. Maybe part of what he's trying to say, and he's saying it heavy-handed in other parts in the film, is that that's the whole point of this film. But if that's the case, that's really super, super, super insulting. <laughs> um, because basically it's like, yeah, I know I'm making the same joke over and over again, but that's because the American public is too dumb to understand anything. And you're getting exactly what you deserve. And the film is really, really dark. <laughs> um, and man, the ending with Tom Waits and him observing stuff was just so also very long and kind of and the I thought Tom Waits was terrible in this movie and was wasted because I like him as an actor and I understand his purpose. But there again, it was kind of like, yeah, maybe Tom Waits didn't have a script and here's what, here's your costume. This is what I want you to kind of do. And okay, just do it. And I was so bored with it after the first time we saw him on screen. Okay. So, but then every time after that, I was so bored of him on screen, so bored of him on screen. So I've talked a lot, Alan, <laughs> how do you feel about this film? Um, I'm not, I don't feel as, as down on it as you are. I will say it was a disappointment. Okay. I will say I felt it was lazy. Okay. Did that surprise? Because it's obviously um, I've said it surprised. Yeah, me. it surprised me. I mean, I, I I saw obviously what the film was trying to say, but I felt like it did it in a pretty slapdash way. Mm-hmm. Um, Which I can see there again. Maybe that's making some type of commentary. Maybe, but, if so, but it's pretty it insulting. Just, yeah, <laughs> to me, I uh, I will say once I kind of got my mindset and being like, okay, yeah, this this film I feel like is just hey. I'm Jim Jarmusch and I'm good friends with Bill Murray and I did a film with Adam driver and Hey guys, why don't we let's come together and let's just shoot a movie. And here's a basic outline of what we're going to do. And here's some ideas we've got for some scenes. And I want you guys to ad lib some of the deadpan dialogue and all that. Once I got in the mindset of saying, you know what, they're just doing stuff and seeing what sticks and not, I was able to at least let myself enjoy the rest of the film a little bit more. No, it was not great. Mm Mm-hmm. It was ultimately disappointing because as I walked away, yeah, it could have been so much more. But as it was, I'm like, all right, well, the zombie film has been done to death. I feel like, you know, the, a lot of these tropes that they explore here, yeah. they're riffing on the fact that these tropes happen in these other films. And, and they're I, taking a very, such a, it's the most deadpan movie I think I've ever seen. But they're taking this completely different angle of how people react to these things where instead of it's the panic, I mean, a lot of these people just seem really kind of blase about it. It's like, oh, wow. Zombies are attacking us and what do we do? You know, so once I get in the mindset, I had a little more fun with it. I, I spent more time just waiting to see what was going to make me chuckle or not. Hmm. But it, um, yeah, ultimately it was a letdown because I would have loved to seen a little more out of this, but you know, there's still, I mean, my wife and I went to go see it. There's still a couple moments. We still kind of quote to each other now, like little deadpan comments made between some of the characters. And hmm. there is some, some, some meta commentary some breaking the fourth wall which was very oddly timed and haphazard and not something they wove through very well no but it was still it was one of those moments when it happened it was kind of like oh okay that's that's kind of funny and then you know and that's the thing is like i think all that could have been but it was just to me it was so surprising that it wasn't better done. It was a very slapdash movie. Because the, the fourth wall stuff was funny to me. And <laughs> when you was, started realizing what was happening with it, you're like, oh, yeah, this is actually, some, I see where this film's going now and the approach it's taking. But it didn't go 
far enough along with that. And it was very randomized how they decided to incorporate it. And it just didn't make it feel like it was a very well thought out well, process. And I think that was part of the problem too, is that, and there again, you know, giving credit to Mr. Jumbush. I think that was part of the problem for me is that after the first 15 minutes of this movie, I knew where it was going, mm-hmm. but the unfortunate part is the movie was an hour and 44 minutes. It was like a boring car trip. And, you know, even it's like, even if you have some people on the car trip with you that are fun to hang out with, like Bill Murray and Adam driver still can be kind of boring if, you know, they're not given a lot to do. And maybe that's the point is to prove the monotony and stuff, but just, it didn't make for an entertaining movie. There were some funny bits. Uh, Tilda Swinton was funny, but even her character arc of the mortician <laughs> yeah. was telegraphed to me. Oh, see, no, I did not on. pick up until, until there's a scene of her on a computer. And that's when I'm like, Oh, okay. I, I see where they're going with this. I didn't see it until okay. then. Um, which made her final shot. Just that was one moment where I, I, I laughed, not because of it's funny. It's just the absurdity. I'm like, okay, yeah. There, well, doesn't one of the characters say I didn't see that coming? Or, right. Yeah, totally. Well, and I mean, and I think that's probably the thing I did kind of start to enjoy is, is them almost riffing on where the film was going to end up. Mm-hmm. Adam Driver's comments throughout the film, his character, of right. just this isn't going to end well, or I didn't see this coming type of thing. When you start to, when you start to get deeper in the film and realize that he 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 seems to be the most rational of everybody in the seems film. Seems to be the most aware. He's the most aware, and I think he's supposed to be a commentary on people in our society who are actually eyes are open to what Mister Jarmusch feels like is happening in society around us. Right. Adam Driver is their surrogate for them, where everybody else is the blind masses, not really paying attention. And uh, I think once you start figuring that out. Again, I see where the film's trying to hint, and sometimes it's not hinting. It's very in-your-face, oh, yeah. blatant. But I think the messages they're trying to get across, I, I understand it. I think it was very sloppy the way it was done. I would agree. And I wish the film had more of what they were trying to do as opposed to being so slight and therefore somewhat, quote, boring, you know, in the way they did it. So right. it was a disappointment. But I will say, my wife and I, my wife and I drove an hour to go see this film because it was playing and, and it wasn't playing here. We didn't think it was going to show up here and we had a free afternoon. So we go drive uh, to another city to see this. My <laughs> wife is the one who suggested seeing this, which kind of shocked me. I did not tell, I didn't want to be the film snob and say, well, you know, Jim Jarmusch films are typically very slow and <laughs> going to be a little, you know, I'm just like, okay, cool. Man, let's go see it. And I'm just like, I just want to see how this plays out. And about halfway through the movie, she looks at me. She's like, "This is kind of stupid." I'm like, "Yeah, well, I said, we'll just let's just go for the ride." <laughs> so you know, let's just go for the ride. Yeah, I thankfully I did not invite my <laughs> wife on this, and yeah. I'm really glad I didn't because she would have hated it. Yeah. She wouldn't have. She'd just been like, "Yeah, it was just kind of stupid." I was kind of over it in the first twenty minutes. So I'd be like, "Yeah, yeah." I, understand yeah. That. Um, so. I will say a couple quick points. Um, not scary in the slightest. In case anybody's curious. Is bloody. But gory. Yeah. I mean, it's actually pretty hardcore gory. Yeah. So just be mindful of that. You know, you're talking zombies, flesh-eating zombies, and it's not shying away from any of that. Yeah. Definitely, uh, it wants to weave in some political allegories at times. Some? Sometimes beating you over the head with <laughs> yeah. them. Um, sometimes very blatantly, visually in yes. your face. Um, I will say acting-wise, I mean, yeah, Bill Murray is playing about the most deadpan Bill Murray that you could possibly play. I'll say this, yeah. Because while you're talking about Bill Murray, and 
we've talked a little bit about some of the fourth wall comments. There is a fourth wall comment that Bill Murray makes to Adam Driver. And I will say in that moment, I felt like it was really brutal. <laughs> and I was like, whoa. And oh. you know, there again, because of you know, how the screen was, it was like I was looking at Bill Murray's character as he said it, even though I think it's a two shot. And then I kind of was like, whoa. And just basically he makes kind of a rude comment in a way. But, you know, Bill Murray is known as kind of he can be kind of prickly, kind mm-hmm. of rough around the edges. And maybe he's playing all of that when he makes this comment to Adam Driver. But I was like, whoa, like that. And Adam Driver, it's in a way, kind of doesn't acknowledge it, but he kind of mm. does. And I don't, it was like really awkward. So I have to say, I've never had a fourth wall breaking moment in the theater that was that awkward. Like I was yeah. like, oh, dear. Like, you know, I was like, <laughs> you, you and I may, we may need to talk offline and remind okay. me exactly what the verbiage oh. was there. I remember the scene you're talking about. Okay. I just don't remember what the exact line was. Fair enough. The only acting I was going to call out that I thought was really interesting. Okay. Um, Caleb Landry Jones yes, playing com- Bobby Wiggins, the yeah. guy who owned the convenience store there. Or Bilbo or whatever. Yeah. I thought, I thought he was acting and yeah. he was good. Yeah, I liked his was, character yeah. a lot. And uh, I think it's one of the few times I've seen him play somebody that's not either a villain yeah. or like a bapper. Like he True. was just, you just felt sorry for him. He was kind of a nice guy. Yeah. yeah I, I thought he a did guy. a really good job. Everybody else was just kind of cakewalking through it. I thought and yeah. just kind of, you know, not that they were doing a bad no, job. Just, just, I think they were doing what they were being asked to do, right. which is be as, lethargic and deadpan and everything is possible. I did feel like Caleb Landry Jones was acting and, um, it's about the only one. I thought everybody else was pretty. Yeah. They did what they're supposed to do. There wasn't a whole lot more for them to do in their parts. Right. Um, Adam driver. I I think if anybody's going to out deadpan Bill Murray, it's going to be Adam driver. I think he's got that down pat too. Sure. So, um, and then Tom, Tom waits, I didn't hate his role as much as you did, but it was kind of just extraneous. And I think he was only there to serve that last scene as a narrator. And oh my, oh my yeah, gosh. The last scene. Yeah. Just him just narrating. Oh, so painful. So lazy. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't great. I'm so. never like, even if you, you know, Jim Jarmusch having films that are slow, that doesn't bother me. You know, I, if yeah. a film's good, it doesn't matter the speed. Sometimes slow films are a little more to, harder to get into. But Jim Jarmusch, like, I just, he's just capable of doing so much. And yeah, yeah, that just seems so lazy and wasn't interesting to me. Oh, man. Such a shame. Yeah. Such a shame. So disappointing. Yes. Um, I think I came out of it just with a little better time than you did, just because I, I kind of, I kind of checked my brain out and just said, all right, I'm just (laughs) going to watch this just for, for kicks. Sure. And the moments that did, amuse me after that and we're, we're fun. But, um, yeah, overall walking out, it was still a disappointment and could have been a lot more, could have been a, a lot more. So that is the dead. Don't die. Probably by the time you're hearing this, can't imagine it's going to be playing too many places right now. So probably not. Um, if you are a Jarmusch completist sure. and you really like his style of filmmaking, then I'd say you probably, you know, might be interested in checking it out after it hits online, but I will say this. If you're someone who loves Bill Murray and just feels like you got to go see all the Bill Murray movies, you can probably skip this one. Sure. There's really not a lot there for, right. for Bill Murray to, to, to entertain you with. So. 
I wonder at the end all be all if this will be one of the higher grossing Jim Jarmusch movies just because of how it was advertised. Just because it's a zombie movie. Right. And it's got a big cast and all that. Yeah. I could see it probably making the most money of any of his other films. But again, that's not really saying a lot. His films don't generally generate a lot of cash. True. All right. So that are our, those are our two reviews. As we, we said, we talked about uh, Toy Story 4 and The Dead Don't Die. Somewhat split reviews on them, although <laughs> we're both positive on Toy Story 4. Chris, higher than, than I am. Dead Don't Die, I came out a little higher on it, but we both agree it was, a, it was, a, it was disappointing as a film in, in general. All right, let's go ahead and take a quick break, Chris. When we come back, we're going to hit some movie news items, and then we'll end up the show at the end with our recommendation for the episode. So stay tuned. You're listening to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. Hey, this is Andrew Moose from the Street Circle Drive podcast here on The Mesh. Interested in promoting your business to an online audience? Your ad could be right here. Consider advertising on The Mesh Podcast Network. Head over to TheMesh.TV for details. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. This is Alan Jackson and Chris Fry with the Foot Candle Film Society and Foot Candle Film Festival here with you again. Chris, we uh, had the first part of our show with the reviews, Toy Story 4, The Dead Don't Die. Now we move on to the, the back half of the show where we talk about some movie news and review in uh, our recommendations. Before we do, though, do just want to call out a couple quick things. Uh, you've heard me mention the word foot candle a couple times in this, uh, both the title of the show and our film society and film festival. Well, you can learn more about what we do as a film society out here in Western North Carolina, just outside of Charlotte. And that is on footcandle.org. That's where we post all the screenings we have. We host a lot of screenings. We work with a lot of, uh, organizations on partnership screenings of films, discussions, and of course our festivals too. We do have our next festival coming up in September of 2019. It'll be September 27th through the 29th of this year, held in Hickory, North Carolina, which is just northwest outside of Charlotte. And it is going to be a three full days of films. Uh, This is our fifth year doing the festival. We have probably between 30 and 35 films coming out that are going to be shown that weekend with six different awards to be given out. We've got filmmakers visiting and coming to the area to be a part of the screenings for us. Should be a really great weekend. We're excited as always. I know we'll be talking about it a little bit more in the next couple episodes as we get closer. But if you have any plans on the last weekend of September or or want to change them to come join us in Western North Carolina, change them, them, come visit us. And please drop us a line if you're hearing about it through the show and you want to make sure you you know that we're uh, or we know that you're coming into town. We'd love to get connected with you and kind of say hi in person. So uh, make sure we do that. Chris, is there anything I'm forgetting about the festival? We need no. to make sure we communicate. No, I think that's it. The films will be announced uh, the Mid-July. latter half of July mm-hmm. and tickets will be available on sale about that same time. So it should be uh, a lot of fun. We're looking forward to it. So the just to clarify. The Film Society is footcandle.org, but the film festival information will be up at footcandlefilmfestival.com. Footcandlefilmfestival.com. Although, there'll be a link from the footcandle.org going to the festival, too. So you're you're covered either way you end up there. Absolutely. All right, Chris, let's go ahead and hit some movie news items. And mine are both industry-related news items. And I think you've got one that's maybe more artist creative. Uh, yeah. You uh, could update. say it's a little industry interesting now. Okay. But. Well, I'm, I look forward to talking about it. Okay. Let me hit this first one. Sure. Um, you and I have, <laughs> you and I have recently become better fans of 
AMC movie theater chain. True. So just little, so happens they're one of the only games in town. It's true. So For us here in the town we live in, it's about the only true big multiplex theater we have to see films. Sure. But, you know, uh, my relationship with AMC was pretty sour for a long time. I did not enjoy going to the movie theater. I thought customer service was pretty bad. I thought wait times were bad. It's just not great. Okay. But then AMC did a really smart thing and came out with their AMC Stubbs program and where you pay the monthly fee. And it's kind of what, uh, what was the service I've already forgotten in my head? Movie Pass. Movie Pass. Oh, so movie pass. does it still exist? I think it does. Okay. I just don't know anybody who has it. Right. Um, it's what MoviePass aspired to be. AMC got it right. It's a little more expensive, but well worth it. You and I probably go see... <laughs> Being a little bit more expensive, they're actually able to stay solvent. That's true. <laughs> you and I probably go see, what, three, four, five movies a month at the movie theater? Yeah, somewhere in that neighborhood? That. Mm-hmm. So we we pay for... Our, we, we, we get our benefit from the, the subscription. Sure. So I am a little better in favor of AMC. Now they've gone to reserve seating for all the films, which is a big deal for me. Because I'm always the guy that was trying to get there 30 minutes early to make sure I get a good seat. And I don't have to do that and feel good about it. Anyway, all that being said, I'm a little more favorable on AMC. They still got some things to work on. And <laughs> still the local theater has some, some challenges, some things to do a little better. Sure. But this was an interesting thing they, they announced. So AMC Theaters is launching a new program called AMC Artisan Films. Okay. As a programming marketing effort to put a spotlight on character and narrative-driven movies as an alternative to blockbusters. This is all coming from Variety, by the way. Variety, so their film news roundup. they're targeting doing more independent films. Is yeah. A uh, quote from uh, their executive vice president of Worldwide Programming saying, because AMC is the industry's top choice for blockbuster movies, many consumers don't realize that we play more elevated and celebrated films than anyone else in North America. Hmm. With the launch of AMC Artisan Films, we aim to expose more moviegoers to specialized films and increase their theatrical success. So that's how The Dead Don't Die came to Hickory. <laughs> there you go. That's right. Okay. So basically said uh, they're seeking earlier runs in platform releases while holding the films longer in the theater to give audiences more time to learn about them from hmm. other people. So it's just a concept theory that they have about they're now putting a little more energy into saying that they want to have specialty films earlier in the theaters hmm. and stay longer so they kind of catch up with the buzz that maybe uh, audiences are building for it. Think about this. This actually kind of applies. Interesting. Here in Hickory, where yes. we are, our hometown, we have the one AMC theater. Mm-hmm. And one of two things typically happens with the, quote, specialty films that come into town. Okay? A, they show up and you don't know they're there. That often happens. And they're gone after a week. They have a week engagement. Yeah. Right. Or two, they come much, much later in their theatrical run after all the buzz has kind of started to subside. And now they're finally catching up and showing the films here. Right. Sounds like if AMC Artisan Films is a legitimate program they're trying to do and really put some time and energy behind it. The idea is that getting them earlier in their platform release, meaning that they show up sooner in these movie theaters and they stay longer. Mm Mm-hmm. Which I think is the two things you've got to do to make these smaller films successful. Right. Because if you're someone who listens to NPR radio and they're talking about a film, you want to be able to see that film kind of that same within the week or so of hearing that interview. Otherwise, you forget about it. Sure. And you don't want to hear that, oh, well, yeah, that film was at the AMC last week for like a week. And sorry, you just missed it. So Hmm. I hope this initiative works. I'd like to see if it pays off. 
because I do think we're at a point in, in, in the movie business where, yeah, these smaller independent films are just not cutting it in movie theaters because of the release schedules and the amount of time they're given to be successful. Sure. That's why so many of them are going so quick online right now, because that seems to be the only way to kind of recoup some of their money. So I hope this is, I hope this works. Hmm. I really do. It's just nice to see a press release come out and then explicitly say that, yes, we, we want to do more to give these smaller films more attention. Yeah. That, 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 uh, choice to do more variety is, is an interesting one. And I, yeah, I hope it, I hope it pans out because I'm, I'm always for, uh, more of that because, Honestly, a lot of the films you and I review on the show, we end up having to rent and or watch online because that's the only way we can see them. And I'd much rather be able to see something in the theater because the theatrical experience for me, and I think for most people, trumps any other type of experience to be able to see it on the big screen. So in this same press release news announcement, again, this is from uh, Variety.com, Variety Magazine and, and publication online. Uh, currently, AMC Artisan Films is focusing on Danny Boyle's Yesterday, as one example. Uh, future titles will include Midsummer, which is the one from uh, uh, Ari Aster, right? Yep. Uh, the follow-up to Hereditary. Mm-hmm. Um, Blinded by the Light, which I'm not familiar with that one. Okay. That I'm not familiar with either. Okay. Downton Abbey. Which I don't know if I would really consider that quite the specialty film, but it may need a little more attention to make sure it gets all the audience to come out to the theater for it. Right. The Peanut Butter Falcon, which is the one I'm kind of interested in seeing, Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, Um, I've heard a little bit about that one. The Kitchen, which I believe is the one with uh, Melissa McCarthy. Yeah, they're pushing that. To me, it looks like... Another version of Widows. Um, it, it, it does. And then Where'd You Go Bernadette, which is the uh, um, the one with... Uh, Linklater. Uh, uh, Richard Linklater starring... Um, oh, my gosh. My memory is getting so bad. What is her name? Uh, um, Kate Blanchett. Yes. Thank uh, you. Yeah, Kate Blanchett. God, I've got to work Billy on Billy Crudup. And, yeah. yeah. So anyway, that's the kind of films that they say specifically in their news item. That's what we're focusing on, those types okay. of films. So, you know, not the shoestring budget, super low budget films, but the ones that are not franchises, they're not sequels, they're not blockbusters. Right. Maybe skewing a little older demographics audience wise. That's where they're trying to put your energy for. And I'm all for it. Interesting. Sounds great. Yeah. So Chris, what have you got for us? So, um, I am really excited because I got to see Paul Thomas Anderson's latest film, the day it was released. What? He and came out with a new film? He did. When? Um, he collaborated with uh, somebody he's collaborated with before, um, Tom York of Radiohead. Uh-huh. Uh, he actually directed a video for them off their last album, Moonshape Pool of Dread Dreaming, I think is the yes. name of the song. Mm-hmm. And that was a really cool video. So Mr. York has released or is releasing, I think, a new album. Solo album. Solo album, mm-hmm. yes. Not with Radiohead. Yep. And so he and Paul Thomas Anderson collaborated. Here's what makes this kind of unique is that they released it on Netflix. It is in IMAX theaters on for like, I think it's already, I think it was only there for like two or three days, um, but maybe it's still in bigger cities. Maybe you can still go see it in mm-hmm. an actual theater. So it did have a very short theatrical release. Okay. But um, it was also released on Netflix. And huh. that is where, because... Yeah, would I have liked to see it in IMAX? Yes, but I live in Hickory, and mm-hmm. <laughs> it didn't. It wasn't having a limited theatrical release here, but it did uh, show up on Netflix, and I watched it, and I liked it. Um, and 
it was just really cool to be able to see somebody like Paul Thomas Anderson do kind of like a secret collaboration that was just kind of then thrown out there. Oh, um, and it great. was really, it was really, really cool. So if you're interested in Paul Thomas Anderson, or if you're interested in Tom York slash Radiohead, I would definitely, and you have a Netflix subscription, I would definitely recommend you check it out. This is not my recommendation for the episode. Oh, it's it just, not. Okay. Yeah, so. but it was kind of a unique thing that happened. You were talking about it's kind of all film related or theater related. So this kind of was like a distribution type thing that we've talked about before, how Netflix is kind of shaking things up with the way they're getting films that sometimes have theatrical releases, sometimes don't. If this is the anima. Anima. Anima, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's also the name of the album that he's come out with. And it was just really inter- – it's very um, – does a lot of dance stuff in it. Um, there's not a lot of dialogue. He does sing some song lyrics, um, but it's just really kind of a button Buster Keaton esque hmm. type uh, short film. It's about 15 minutes long. Interesting. It's really, and it's just obviously it's very visual. Um, lots of colors. Cinematography is really cool. Um, it's just really. It's almost like a. Uh, Who's the guy? Michelle Gondry. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a Michelle Gondry type thing to Radiohead, except it. It doesn't necessarily rely on a lot of practical effects yeah. as much as it does dancing and choreography. Interesting. Okay. Um, well, so, yeah. Hey, 15 minutes. I'll, I'll be checking that out probably right after we stop recording here. So, <laughs> cool. Yeah, but it does bring up something I want to mention that I think is incredibly depressing to think about. Paul Thomas Anderson's IMDb page has nothing uh, going on. Well, like no it, in production. Did it have anima though? Before? Probably not. But okay. true. He may be working on something that just not getting, but it's still just like, I know he's someone who normally takes a little more time before between his films. I think going between uh, inherent vice and, and Phantom, Thread. Phantom thread was like three years. Okay. Um, I just, I hope we're not having to wait too much longer because Phantom thread I mean, you depends. and I talked about it. Yeah, it's I really still will hold that film in really, really guess, high regard. I guess it depends on how long it takes him to convince Daniel Day-Lewis to come back out of retirement <sighs> yet again. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But he does keep himself busy with a lot of music-related small projects. He did a lot of music videos for the band Haim. He's done, uh, obviously, the one now for Tom York. He's done Radiohead bits, sure. uh, concerts, footage, everything. So. He stays busy. I just, you know, don't don't forget about your features. You know, let's, it's okay <laughs> sure. to make a nice big movie for us, too. And sure. uh, very, very anxious, especially after Phantom Thread. I'm really curious what he's going to do next. So, um, Okay, so I'm going to go on the complete opposite spectrum here. Chris, we've talked about Marvel superhero movies. And I'm not going to get into what movies they're planning on doing, new ones coming up. Because we kind of, we've done that in the past. Okay. Marvel's at a little bit of a point where... Uh, they haven't really announced what their next big batch of films are. They're kind of keeping that under wraps for a little while, so we'll see what happens. But <laughs> from a business standpoint, I don't know if you were aware, Avengers Endgame, you remember that film? I have heard of it, okay. yes. I think a few people saw it. Yes. They, uh, it has not left theaters yet. <laughs> and as of today, at the time of this recording, the version of Endgame that is being played now okay. is a little different. Oh, good. <laughs> They added, is what they're saying in the press release, uh, seven minutes. Wow. It's already over three hours. Oh, yeah. Is it over three hours already? Seven new minutes to the film. There's a reason they did this. Sure. To make more money? Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, but there's a specific reason okay. they, they want to make more money. Okay. Um, 
So let me let me make sure I'm I'm saying this correctly. As of the time, is this an Avatar related thing? uh Okay. As of uh, before this weekend, thirty six point three million dollars away from beating Avatar as the Uh, all time champion of the movie theaters. Okay. So what do you do? Well, I think Endgame was still bringing in maybe three or four million dollars a weekend. You know, in these later weeks, so it didn't really have much of a chance of hitting that record. Sure. Running out the next few weeks. What do you do? You announce to the world, especially to the comic book, uh, you to know, the internet uh, fan. <laughs> yeah, sure. Say, hey, we've we've we're releasing it with seven more minutes. There's going to be a special scene that was deleted from the original that we've restored. There's going to be a special message at the beginning. Oh, There's going to be all this other oh, stuff. Vomit in my mouth. That's and, disgusting. And a special special message from at the, the directors. Yes. Thank you so much because we really wanted <laughs> to you. make more money. We we are now a lot richer now. So thank you. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> um, wow. And they're also giving out a limited edition poster. Does it say sucker coming on it? out this weekend? <laughs> So, yes, this is all in hopes. And they've even openly said, we want to be that. We want to beat the record. That's out there pretty clear right now. So, Endgame is still in the theaters, has not left the theaters yet. It's obviously an impressive run money-wise. Sure. They, we will see if they pull off the feat of getting another $36 million. See, in all honesty, I liked Endgame okay. I thought it didn't bother me as much as Infinity War did. I've only seen it once. I wouldn't mind seeing it again, but there is no way I'm going to pay them to go see it in the theater again because I do not want to give them that satisfaction. Wow, okay. It's such a blatant money grab. I just can't, I mean, I can't do that. I mean, the poster is pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm just going to say. Right. No, I'm not going out to see it again. I've got too many other films I'd rather go see. Uh, sure. I've saw in game twice. I paid my money. I did my part. So okay. I'm good. Just, you know, interesting. There is something about the clout of saying we've got the biggest box office hit of all time. Here's Otherwise, you're saying you're second. Here's so the, you know. here's the thing, though, and I'm not familiar with the logistics of how Avatar did it, so I, I, I don't know. Maybe they did they do a similar thing where it was about to leave and they re-released something so people would come back out. I See, know. I feel like I understand you wanted to be number one. You wanted to make the best movie you can ever make. I think most people, when they're making a movie, that's what they try to do. Um, is they try to make the best movie they can. My thing is, let the movie stand on its own. If it beats Avatar on its own, awesome. You know, I do like it better than Avatar. It had some more going on. There's more of a story arc. But don't do some cheap gimmick just so you can beat Avatar. I just, you know, it's, I feel like that's cheating, essentially, is what I'm saying. So I understand them wanting to do it, but why not just let the movie do it on its own merit, I guess, is my question no, no. i mean even even robert downey jr star of avengers endgame is in on the the whole thing on twitter he even puts up a picture somebody drew a picture of iron man and he, he puts on the the post you want to make history it's like the game has yet to oh, end that is uh i oh man <laughs> i'm just really upset chris you are like I'm, i want to go out and like pick it and say wait for red box or something yeah. that just you want to be part of history? Come on. You want to be part of history of giving multi-millionaire <laughs> <Making>. <laughs> stars even richer? Like, how dumb, uh, sadly, how dumb do you think the American public is? Like, that's so... Oh, I knew. Uh, I knew. I knew what hornet's nest I was stepping into man, when I brought like, the story Jim Jarmusch should have put that in the dead don't die. Hey, <laughs> idiots, why are you in here watching this movie? Why don't you go next door and watch Endgame for the 18th time? <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that, oh, man. Yikes. 
Oh, that's funny. <laughs> well, you got the reaction you were looking for. I, I kind of, yeah, I kind of knew what I was getting into on this one. I'm like, wow. oh, Chris is not going to like this. No, Chris is not. <laughs> um, wow. And plus the fact too, I mean, just you know, to kind of go along with Chris's point, I mean, if you don't want to go pay the money to go, to make history and see this film top to make history um, for a bunch of rich white, it's dudes. coming out on digital HD on July 30th. So okay. you got like 30 more days. Right. So anyway, yeah, it's probably going to have all the deleted scenes and everything like that with yeah, it too. So, I mean, you know. here's the thing. If I actually felt like there was something they deleted and maybe I'm wrong, maybe I would be proven wrong. And people would just say with rapturous accolades, oh, it just changed my attitude towards Endgame. It was such a different movie. It was so amazing, you know. But yeah, I, I yeah. Until that happens, I'm have a sour taste in my mouth from that. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, that ends our news segment. <laughs> Putting Chris in a bad mood. There you is go. My goal with the news this week. <laughs> so those are our new segments. Let's go ahead and move into the last part of our show, Chris. This is the part that uh, you know we always can sometimes be a little bit of a challenge for me because I, I, uh, I feel like I've recommended every film I like. <laughs> <laughs> That we haven't talked about. Got you. So to try to keep coming up with other films to recommend, you know, it's been a little challenging. But lo and behold, I've actually got two. Wow. Well, one is going to be a follow-up to one of yours. Okay. And then one will be a fresh one for me. Okay. Um, so I do have a couple to talk about. but Actually, you know what? I'll do two as well. Oh, good. Let's match each other on there this. There you go. These are our recommendations. Because one, one is, is yeah. a follow-up on one of your recommendations. Awesome. I, let's tit for tat. I like okay. it. Um, this is where Chris and I both talk about a film that we've either got a chance to recently catch up with or we want to recommend maybe it's something you might have missed maybe it's something that's available online now as kind of an exclusive online that we want to make sure you're aware of or just a great film that we uh feel like we had a chance to catch up back up with and want to want to bring that to your attention so chris why don't you go first and then we'll kind of ping pong back and forth what do you want to mention the one that's a follow-up to mine first yeah so we're just basically going to have a quick on-air production meeting don't pay any attention yep. to us you want to do the follow-ups first has, you want to do yeah, 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 yeah. Follow okay. up. Okay. Do the one that's a follow up to me, and I'll talk about the one that's a follow up to yours. So, thanks to Alan, I caught up with McGruber. And <laughs> I think I may have just made yes. Alan's day just by mentioning oh, the movie so title. Yeah. Um, you know, this film, while not for everyone, I really enjoyed it. Um, it's funny. It, you know, it takes MacGruber. off the MacGruber character from Saturday Night Live skit from a while oh, ago that yeah. Will Forte did. Kind of a knockoff <laughs> MacGyver that's pretty much a flaming idiot. Um, yeah, just so good. And you know, I'm not going to say every joke in the film works, no. but man, so many do land. You know something that I would, and Kristen Wiig is in there as oh, well. Yeah, she's great. And she's great. Uh, Val Kilmer is interesting <laughs> in the film. I'm not sure he knows what he's doing because no. sometimes I'm unaware if he's really in on the joke. I think he is, but I don't know. And I, and I, and unfortunately I can't say the name of his character because I feel like it might <laughs> right. dip into the big joke. That's unfortunately something we can't say. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, his, just interesting. You know who I was really taken aback by and surprised by? Not that I've ever been a huge fan, haven't really felt one way or the other. Ryan Phillippe. Oh, yeah. In yeah. this movie. It's surprisingly is good. so good. <laughs> the only thing I really think I'd really seen him in was Gosford Park, and he had a small yeah. part in that. I knew who he was, um, but I just didn't really care about him. Man, in this movie, he is so good. I'm like, why does he not do more funny stuff? I, I just like, I don't know, but he is, he plays like the handsome guy who's like the with it military guy that basically MacGruber is always trying to compete against or prove himself to 
man, so <laughs> Although I'll tell you, I so can't funny. look at celery the same way anymore. <laughs> Have so. you eaten any celery? Oh, no, I don't eat celery anyway, okay. so that was never really a problem. But, <laughs> but um, I, I, I will say, and that movie still just makes me laugh. It's still oh. one of my best cinematic experiences going to the movie theater in an almost empty movie theater. Me and a good friend of mine, a childhood friend, went, and it's just you're in the mood to just laugh, and this movie delivered for me. Oh, so, I can imagine. Yeah. I wish I had seen this in a theater. The because. sex scene between Will Forte and uh, um, Kristen Wiig. Yes. And the direction it takes is amazing. <laughs> Hilarious. So I'm just, I love this film. Yeah. That and the assembling the team uh, early in the film the, the and where that ends. Um, it's too good. Yeah. So, it's good. Play, it knows how to play with the right cliches. Of the action movie hero, um, but doesn't play it safe either. It's no. gonna, it's gonna go. It goes as far as it can go, and it's and the funnier past. for it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it true. <laughs> sees the line and drives right over it. So yeah. Uh, good. Well, I'm so happy you caught up with that I, film. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm gonna return the favor, Chris. I caught up with a film of yours that I know was actually your number one film of last year. Oh, okay. Bad Times at the El Royale. Yes. Let me just go ahead, just go ahead and lay this out there. Okay. I did not. Give it, I'm not giving it a five-star review. That's fair. I, I can't say it was my favorite of the year. I may have. I can say that I may have overhyped it. However, I will say this film had a lot of great things going for it. Okay. I will say that for the first hour, I'm totally enraptured with this film. Okay. I'm, I'm to the point of saying, yeah, this may be my favorite film I've seen in the past year. Okay. The last hour does lose some steam for me doesn't resolve itself as 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 stylistically nicely as the first half does that's fair but the first half has so much great mystery and interesting characters the setting is so good so they're just those not aware it's this is a uh, drew goddard directed and i believe wrote as well seven strangers all kind of meeting some by coincidence maybe not at the old el royale hotel Mm-hmm. Which to me is one of the greatest sets of a film. Oh now. man, the um, set's amazing. The inside the lobby, the yeah. fact that it's right on the state line between California and Nevada, Nevada. and that yeah. kind of plays some interesting parts in the film too. I, the whole scene, uh, the, just the set itself, when we're being introduced to the hotel, is wonderful. Yeah, so that's why I love the opening thirty, forty minutes of this film. Um, it does generate a mystery. There's a lot of great, interesting characters. There's some interesting twists. I'm not going to spoil anything with the film. My only misgiving is I I was hoping and wanting the film to be at one level of mystery. And it had no intentions of going to that level. Correct. I come to find out the end. It was a little disappointing for me that it didn't. However, did not make it a, not a great film. Just eh, loses a little bit for me by the end. By the end. Okay. But I will say, I had a great time with it. Cool. There's very split reactions to this film online, which I was really surprised by. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, su- I, I'm I surprised ad- by the people that like actively like really well, despise yeah. it. I yeah. can understand some people saying, "Eh, it was it was fine. Yeah. I enjoyed it. It was great." But the people who just said they actively hate it, I, I don't get that. Yeah, I really I, don't get I don't that either. So it was a surprising uh, catching up with reviews because, of course, I hadn't heard any reviews about it until I saw the film. Uh, but I did have a really good time. Good. Uh, again, my wife and I watched it, and that first half we were we're into it. You're in. I mean, we're just good. like. 
you know, I think our kids needed something, and I'm like, no, we're not stopping the movie. Like, <laughs> we got to finish. Keep, we got to keep going through. Cool. I, I wish it had ended with as much enthusiasm as I had in the first, but it still ended successfully, and it was a good film, and I, I liked it a lot. So, thank you for the recommendation there. I'm glad you got to see. All right, it. now let's do our actual recommendation sure. here. So, Chris, <laughs> go ahead and tell us what, what what we should check out. So, um, I caught up with a film that I've been meaning to catch up with because just the premise intrigued me, but mm-hmm. I just. Never had a chance until recently. It was a film that came out in 2016 slash, I think, in the U.S. It was 2017. But it is the film Personal Shopper by Olivier Assayas. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And that stars Kristen Stewart as the title, Personal Shopper. And she works for, like, a famous person, I think, who is a model. And she's the personal shopper in Paris. And she refuses to leave the city specifically until she makes contact with her twin brother, who previously died there. And then her life becomes a little bit more complicated when uh, mysteriously she starts getting texts on her phone from someone. Hmm. And it's just kind of weird. So it's billed as kind of a drama slash horror slash mystery. Um, and I don't really want to say much more about it. Um, it's just really, it is, it is slow. Okay. I will say Kristen sure. Stewart's good in it, um, but it is kind of slow and you're not really sure what's going on. And it's just, it's really interesting. Mm. And the end of the film also is really interesting. Mm. Um, so I, I don't know. It's, it's kind of a thinking person's, I could see where, you know, maybe watching this around Halloween. So maybe I'm recommending it too early Oh wow! <laughs> but, huh. um, because it is, it does have some, creepy odd things happening oh i didn't know that was yeah um, but uh, not overly so i know but i didn't even know that was even slightly in the direction there's some odd stuff going on um but it was just a really interesting movie watch experience i wish that this could have been a film that we would have brought for our film society although i don't think a lot of our members would have really liked it necessarily but i think it would have definitely generated some interesting discussion okay because there's a lot here about fame there's a lot here about family there's a lot here about just belief and believing in things and hmm. not sure. I mean, yeah, the interpretation of some of the final scenes could be very interesting. So anyways, right. um, personal shopper, uh, filmed by Olivier Assayas. I recommend that. Awesome. It's great. Um, so my, my recommendation is kind of a bringing back a, a classic film for me. Um, okay. My son, my youngest son, has in the last year taken up guitar and has gotten very good. He's a very talented musician, much more so than I ever have been. I'm not musically talented at all. Okay. I'm a great music listener. I just cannot play or sing a bit of it. But uh, he's gotten into a lot of uh, 70s kind of uh, classic rock. You know, he likes, you know, loves Queen, Van Halen. Uh, got into Jimi Hendrix, got, you know, Pink Floyd. He's big into Pink Floyd now. Oh. Just a lot of stuff we're playing. Nick and I need to have a talk. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, he's totally <laughs> into Pink Floyd. Oh, now, so we need you to guys have need to have a connect we there. We do. So I'm trying to go back through and say, where can I bridge some gaps with him on my love of movies, especially movies that have to do with music and rock and roll and, and all? How can I introduce him to some of these interesting movies I think he might like? So we watched Almost Famous. Okay. Cameron Crowe from 2000. This is the one that kind of introduced uh, the character of Penny Lane as played by Kate Hudson. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had uh, basically William Miller, a 15-year-old uh, lover of music who wants to be a rock journalist. 
and he gets an assignment from Rolling Stone magazine kind of by chance, you know, by just having done something really good for Cream magazine, I think, before that. Um, and he basically becomes friends and uh, follows along a band called Stillwater, which is fronted by uh, 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 lead singer Jeff Beebe, who's played by... The names are is it Billy me. Crudup again. No, Billy Crudup is the uh, guitar player, Russell Hammond, and Jason um, Lee. Jason right? Lee, Jason Jeff Beebe, the okay. lead singer. Um, you've got uh, Francis McDormand playing the mother of mm-hmm. uh, of William Miller. You got Zoe Deschanel playing his sister. Um, it's a great cast, and it is Cameron Crowe. Now, I will say that there was a period of time where all of Cameron Crowe's movies I was huge fans of. Yeah, say anything. Um, uh, even singles I like. I like singles. Uh, Jerry Maguire I like. Almost Famous I really like. He had a run where he After was on Almost fire. Famous, I will say there's a drop. Okay, and I can't say I've been a big fan of his last two or three films. I think I only went after that. I will say I loved. Still like I'll have to rewatch it, but I'm pretty sure I'd like it. Vanilla, Vanilla Sky. Sky. Yeah, that one's good. I loved it. But Elizabeth Town. Yeah. Mm. Uh, we bought a zoo. No, yeah. um, I did not ever see Aloha. I oh. heard, heard that was pretty bad. <laughs> it is. So, bad. I've seen but it. almost famous. I will say, top ten film for me. Okay, love it, love it. It's it's almost a perfect film. Um, almost famous. Almost <laughs> almost perfect. perfect. There are some Cameron Crowe overdone bits of dialogue and overdone scenes that are a little cringeworthy now, watching in, in hindsight. Couple of scenes. There's a scene if you're familiar with the film up in an airplane where everybody's kind of uh, feeling like they're about to die because of a crash and start spouting out things about their life secrets. And there's one that's just a, a cringeworthy joke now, and unfortunately, it just doesn't play very well hmm. in today's culture society as much. But regardless, besides all those little moments that just don't work as well, it's still to me as a complete film so good. Okay. It's got one of the best endings of all films in my mind. The last, the last couple of scenes, the way the film ends. Um, I love the character of Russell, uh, played by Billy Crudup. Um, I think Penny Lane is a really great character, the way she's realizing the film. I think Patrick Fugit playing, playing William oh, Miller yeah. is really good. He's great. The music's good. Uh, it just worked. And I will say this. After the end of the film, my son looked at me and said, I think that may be my favorite film now. I'm like, nice. You're like, bingo. mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. <laughs> I'm done here. My work is done. Wow. Okay. So almost famous. I've just got to say, I mean, it's one that doesn't get as much acclaim as maybe a Jerry Maguire or other, or say anything. True. But I think it's, I think it's Cameron Crowe's best film. It's this definitely his most personal film. Cause mm-hmm. this is actually something he himself, I think was a rock journalist, obviously, and had a very similar, Ascent as a young man into getting into the rock and roll world. So it's a very personal film to him. I think it shows in the film. Uh, great characters, great moments, great music. So one of my favorites still holds up. And uh, I'm so glad my 12 year old loves hmm. it too. So yeah, anyway. that's awesome. What's your recommendation, Chris? So, oh no, I, oh, you did yours. yeah, I did mine. Oh, God, today I am just off my <laughs> game, Chris. I am. That's all right. I'm it's not Friday. remembering actors names. It's Friday afternoon. It's like right at five o'clock. I know. I'm just, I'm checked out. I'm sorry. <laughs> Personal shopper was your yes. recommendation. Mine is almost famous, but we also cross reference each other's bad Previous times at the picks. El Royale yeah. and MacGruber, yeah. which I'm so happy. You yes. MacGruber. So happy. It. It's good. Moose, you've seen MacGruber, right? M- Moose is our engineer. Uh, looking through the booth here, he's he's cheering back there as I as we talk about MacGruber. So That's happy, good, good so stuff. 
Perfect. Good. He's a big fan. All right. So that's it. I think we're going to wrap up the show then. So Toy Story 4, positive reviews. Both of us liked. Chris liked it more than I did. I had a few issues, but still a recommendation. Uh, then we're both disappointed with The Dead Don't Die. It can but die. I found a few more <laughs> things to, uh, to find some enjoyment in it than maybe Chris did. Then we had our movie news items and just now our recommendation. So, Chris, if anybody has any feedback for us or wants to get in touch with us, uh, what should they do at this point? So, you may email us feedback to info at the mesh.tv with foot candle in the subject line. Uh, you can also subscribe to us if you haven't already on iTunes and leave a star rating or review to help us reach new listeners. We always appreciate that. Um, you can also listen to us on Spotify and Stitcher. Those are other ways you can keep in contact with us. Also, follow us on Letterboxd or even on Twitter, at Chris Fry, at Alan Jackson, and at Foot Candle Film are the ways that you can do that. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention, like Alan tossed out earlier, we do have a Foot Candle Film Festival coming up September 27th through the 29th. So if you are in the Western North Carolina area, put that on your calendar. Yeah, that's right. So... Please keep your eyes open for that. We'd love to see you joining us in Western North Carolina in late September. All right, Chris, we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll look forward to talking to you next time. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.